0: The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is our first episode for 2019. I'm your host, Paul Spain. And with me is... Hey, it's Miriam, Miriam Jouar of the Mobile Tech Podcast. Hi,
1: Paul, how are you?
0: Great, good to have you back on the show. Uh, show. It was uh, not so long ago you were uh, on, so good to be uh, be back again. (laughs)
1: Thanks for having me. It's kind of convenient for us to both do a podcast together at CS. So we are at CS, in case you're wondering, and we're actually doing a co-podcast. A lot of what you're hearing on the show will also be replicated online
0: should be fun. There's been a lot going on at CES, even though as we record this, CES hasn't opened its doors to, I was going to say the general public, but it, in, to a degree it never opens its doors to the general public because it's an industry-only event. But the first couple of days are uh, uh, really open to mainstream media, podcasters, bloggers, and, and so on. Uh, so that's what we've been involved in. And then tomorrow, uh, Tuesday, the main show floor opens. Yep. Uh, millions of square feet around uh, the Las Vegas Convention Centre and varying hotels and random locations around uh, Las Vegas and somewhere between one hundred and 200,000 uh, people will suddenly appear and uh, hotel prices will skyrocket 10 times. They already have. Cases. It's just
1: going to be mayhem, basically. <laughs> yep. Good
0: times. Well, well, let's jump in, Miriam. What's been jumping out for you?
1: Well, I kind of made a list that's more or less chronological for me of the things that I got to see as, you know, uh, the, the press stuff developed. It started Saturday night for me, and I actually got a briefing with Alcatel, uh, whose parent company is TCL, who makes televisions, but Alcatel also makes um, phones. And so TCL has kind of sub brands, Alcatel being one of them. Uh, BlackBerry is the other one that a lot of people know, right? Uh, they make the the BlackBerry keyboard phones, and they've been very, very popular. So Alcatel it doesn't launch, you know, much in terms of like high end products, but they do some really interesting mid range and low range phones, and they have one called the Alcatel One X that they showed me. And by the time you hear this podcast, the embargo will be over on that. Um, and what was really cool, this is about a $120 phone or so, right? But if you pull it and you touch and you see the specs, it feels nice. And TCL makes custom displays for, because they make televisions for Alcatel. And the end result is a beautiful display at $120. And uh, you know it's 18 by 9, very few bezels. Uh, it's a plastic shell because it's a cheap phone, but it doesn't feel too cheap. Like it's a nice matte finish in the back. And I mean, I don't remember the, the specs. It's some sort of MediaTek processor with some nominal two or three gigs of RAM and, and you know, like some nominal camera in the back. But it's mm. a dual camera. And I mean, we're talking about a phone that the previous Alcatel won a year ago for the same price was very mad, like very, I would not recommend it. I would not want it. This felt like, oh, wow, okay, this is a phone that wouldn't be horrible to have for that price point. So that's kind of what I got excited about because, you know, not everybody can spend even one 6T money on a phone, right? That's 500 US dollars, 600 US dollars. You know, obviously not everybody can spend $1,100 on an iPhone or whatever it is now, but the point is that, There should be phones for everyone. I'm a big believer in connecting the world. I want everyone to get online somehow, to have access to the vast amount of information.
0: We all need to be addicted to our devices. Exactly. And And we can't do that without a device. We can't do that
1: unless it's $120 and it's half decent. So thanks to Alcatel for doing that. That's basically where I wanted to start.
0: Yeah, no, it's good. I've um I've had a, a few catch-ups with uh with with Alcatel uh, T, TCL in in New Zealand because they distribute their you know their product pretty pretty broadly. Yeah. Uh and yeah, I mean from what I've seen so far, they uh they you know generally seem to be making reasonable devices for the for the price points they're coming in at. Haven't seen the new 1X yet, so it's going to be interesting to uh, to get some hands on time with.
1: Yeah, I mean in terms of Uh, like US market, you know, positioning. Their big challenger here is um, Motorola, Moto. Moto is a well-established brand in the US even though it's owned by Lenovo now. And they make some really good low-end to mid-range phones, at least for the US market, like the E-series from Moto. And then there's, on the other side of the fence, Uh, You've got Honor, which is the only way Huawei can get into the U.S., uh, other than their laptops, which are pretty popular in the U.S., actually. They got really great reviews over the last two years with their laptops, Huawei. But Huawei's brand Honor is available in the U.S. in the mid-range, lower range-ish. Through the carriers? No, 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 through Unlocked. Okay. And it... I would say, gives Octel a run for the money. I mean, maybe not in the $120 range, but in that $200 range, they're making phones that are all metal and glass, sandwiches, like really refined looking, something that looks like a $500 phone, but costs $200. And Octel can't quite get to that. Like you can tell they're struggling to meet those same price point but they they're using plastics instead of metal and you know some people are going to say plastics are better and i, I and i get that that's not what i'm discussing here. what i'm trying to say is like trying to achieve flagship grade of materials and build quality at a lower price point i think uh honor and moto are in a better place for that than alcatel but purely spec wise you know i think those alcatel phones look interesting yeah, I agree. Yeah, um, so we talked about Huawei and in and honor. So maybe I want to just jump forward to talk about the get the Huawei MateBook 13. Discuss. I don't know if you're very familiar with their their line of li- laptops.
0: Yeah, look. The thing I found, I find curious about Huawei laptops is I had a visit to Huawei um, yeah, HQ. And uh, you know, I've, I've I guess interacted with other people from uh, Huawei over over recent years. The thing that stood out to me is I haven't seen many of their staff using them.
1: Interesting, because I what, mean, what has been your I mean, experience? For I can tell you, for USPR, the USPR team, internal PR, does use them quite extensively. They always have them out. Um, and I'll be frank: of all the Windows 10 laptops I have my Huawei MateBook 10 Pro, or X, it should be X, they don't say 10. MateBook X Pro, which I have, is a powerhouse. I mean, for the money, around $1,500, you know, it's it's really packed in terms of specs. But it's still in the same form factor as like a 15-inch MacBook. So it's super light, super thin. Um, it's basically a, a purely designed as a MacBook Pro 15 competitor. Uh, now, the... The, the laptop we're talking about today that was announced at CS is not that laptop. But I'm just saying that The Verge gave the MateBook X Pro such great review, such a great review that I think a lot of people were very intrigued. If they didn't buy one, maybe they didn't buy one, but they were definitely intrigued. I've had a lot of people, like, if you ask the general journalist here in North, North America, like, I want to buy a Windows 10 laptop. I have this budget. What would you buy? I can almost guarantee you for that for 2018, the answer was at least probably four out of five times MateBook X Pro, which is surprising, right? I mean, they came out of nowhere. The previous laptop, the MateBook S, uh, or X, sorry, was um, like a MacBook 12-inch competitor, super light, super thin, but it was a little short in performance. It was beautifully made. Materials and build quality were top-notch. Uh, you know, very much like ZenBooks from uh, from Asus, which we're going to talk about in a second. But I think that they never really quite hit it with the first one, but the second one, as a MacBook Pro competitor, was top. So this is like their third product. This is more like a MacBook 13 competitor, but the le- the entry level non touch bar version of it. Mm. So it's called the the MateBook 13 from Huawei, and it's priced the most accessible of their laptops so far in the MateBook series, but it is, in terms of power, in between the super ultralight one they first introduced, the X, and then the X Pro, which is like a monster. So, um, yeah, very interesting. Very interesting because I'll be getting one in about a week to unbox and to to review, so I'm really kind of curious how it's going to pan out.
0: Yeah, look, I've been curious about the the most recent MateBooks because they do look really good the build quality you know seems to be up there price wise they're you know a lot lower than you know buying something like a MacBook uh, or a Surface product there's a you know pretty big discount there so um you yeah, know I mean, that's why I'm curious that they, they you know they don't seem to have um, necessarily, the the same level of of warranties and and those sorts of uh, you know options for those that are wanting to get, put them in a business environment. Oh yeah, on that's a different story for sure. So yeah, so yeah. there are definitely some things that you miss out from there. But in terms of just just looking simply at the product, um, it looks really good. Yeah,
1: I mean the the I can't speak of the pricing of the new MateBook 13. I don't think that's quite being announced. But the MateBook X Pro was you know the one I have is a Core i5. Uh, With discrete graphics and like 16 gigs of RAM and like a big SSD and it's got a beautiful, for you know, like 2K display, I think. And it's a really nice display. And, you know, it's got this touch on the screen as well. Really great quality keyboard and trackpad all you know all unibody all aluminum and we're looking at and you know the discrete graphics is really the thing on that and we're looking at like 1500 1400 so more in line with an entry level macbook pro yeah but for a 15 inch yeah and and it's got so little bezel and again we're going to talk about this with asus in a second but Uh, At the time the Matebook 10 Pro was released last year, it had the thinnest bezels of any laptop. That's right. Something like 95% body to screen ratio. And because of that, they put the camera in one of the function keys. That's right. Like you pushed it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But so again, we know we keep talking about last year's laptop. So the Matebook 13 does not have the camera like that. It still has a very thin bezel, but they've mounted the camera in the right place. And it's just overall a very thin, and sexy MacBook Pro 13 entry level competitor, basically. Mm, That's the mm. impression I get from what I saw and played yeah. with. Yeah,
0: yeah. It, it certainly looks uh, looks really, really slick, and I imagine performance wise, it's going to uh, it's going to stack yeah. up. It's going to stack up pretty Absolutely. well. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, how much I, have you played with the ASUS ZenBooks over the years?
0: Um, oh, bit, bits and bit, bit some pieces. I've certainly, you know, been at a num- number of their launches and. Uh, Taipei, uh, in the US, and um, yeah, I guess what you know, most of the experience I've had has been with their lower end devices that haven't haven't been so the that, Vivo books haven't been that great, um, but
1: the, yeah, the the higher end products seem to be uh, seem to be rather nice. Yeah, so the Zen books are interesting because I got uh, the previous Gen Z book. S from last from Computex last year, so june may June time frame from two thousand and eighteen, and you know they have this really cool ergo hinge design where when you open the lid the the, the, you know, the keyboard like the the bottom half of the laptop raises itself as the lid gets open, kind of like gives you that kind of ergo and they call it ergo lift because it's exactly what it does, but the hinge does not seem compromised in terms of rigidity and strength because of it. So, this wasn't, the one I reviewed at Computex wasn't the first they did that way. But that design is, they're really sticking with it. They're putting in everything. And, um, at the time, the one I had was a 4K display and it was incredible. Like, the, the amount of pixels on that laptop was wow. To, like, you could see it right away. But honestly, I didn't feel that the keyboard and the trackpad matched what we have on a MacBook. Although the keyboard on the MacBook is very controversial. I personally feel it's great. I'm very used to it now. Three years on a twelve-inch MacBook and I'm fine. It didn't take me long, honestly. I didn't have any complaints.
0: Uh, yeah, I certainly, I don't have any issues with the MacBook keyboard these days. Um, you know, personally, certainly on the the latest uh, generation MacBook Pro, seems you know seems to be fine. It's you know nicely lit. Um, maybe a little bit, a little bit noisy I at times. I do
1: feel that it could be deeper. Less, it's a bit shallow. And I, if I have to pick the best laptop keyboards I've used in the last year and a half or so. My number one is the Pixel Book from Google. I, I love the amount. It's the best. Like it does not too noisy. It's got great tactile feedback. It's got enough key travel, and it's not trying to be gimmicky by having round keys like the the the, the Pixel Slate or anything like that. And then I would honestly say my second choice is, again, we talked about the Huawei, the Matebook 10 or Matebook X Pro, that, that 15 inch MacBook Pro competitor. That keyboard is so good. And, and this is where I feel Asus never quite hits the mark on the Zenbooks, even at the high end, is because they make them really thin, which is great, but somehow the, the strength of the, they flex more than other laptops like the Macs. Oh, and Huawei, I think, was benchmarking the Mac really hard when they designed their laptop. Was then uh, Asus is just kind of doing their own thing, you know. And honestly, a fingerprint reader is a really great thing on a laptop. But having it in the trackpad in the corner, like the Asus do, like it just takes up away. It takes away from your trackpad real estate. Yeah, yeah. it makes so much more sense to have it on the power button. Or on a separate button. So on the Huawei, it's on the power button. On the Mac, as we know, the, the older MacBook with Touch Bar, it's on the Touch Bar. But the new MacBook Air has it. I think it's the best, the best setup. It's got mm. it right on the power button mm. where I think it should be. And obviously, you know, Windows Hello on Windows 10 solves a lot of that because you can use cameras. And I can't wait to see a Mac that has Face ID for that, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, just jumping back to keyboards, I don't know whether you saw it uh, yesterday, but at the CS Unveiled event, there was a keyboard on display there. I tried it out. And it's a company, I can't, can't remember what they're called, but uh, they're using an e-paper display inside the keyboard Uh so you can basically personalise what comes up on every single key so you can uh, you know do, do your shortcuts and you know um Varying bits, bits and pieces of customization. You know, you can flick it between, say, having a Windows key uh, and a Command key if you use it between a Mac and Windows, and you know, so on. So it was quite interesting. Not, not a great keyboard from a keyboard uh, perspective. You yeah, basically had see-through keys uh-huh. so that you can right. see what was on the display underneath, and it was quite well lit um but i haven't and so, i mean they've been varying products down that track before but
1: yeah yes, this was this i was missed a, that a new one. one and it's interesting because there's been a number of them there was this russian company that made a keyboard that every individual key had an oled display this is at least five six years ago now when i was a selling gadget right we covered it extensively at the time and it, it kind of they made a keyboard and it was really expensive and, and it disappeared.
0: Well, this uh, keyboard looked. It sounded like it was going to be five hundred US, so not a not a low cost keyboard.
1: Yeah, this Russian thing was a thousand US back then, and it was cool and it worked. But like you know, since then, Razer showed a prototype at CES a few years ago of like his tiny mini laptop mm. that had um, an OLED display behind each key, and I thought their implementation was way better done. They never shipped it. Like I think Razer is the the biggest company to tease stuff at CES and never make it real. <laughs> That's what they do, and
0: uh, well, there's always a lot of that at CES, though, isn't there? That's you know the, the things that we're talk, we're talking about now are mostly sort of at the real end, but there are always so many things at, at CES that uh, um, either you know don't add up. I saw uh, you know someone on Twitter today, this massive following. And he was tweeting a video and, uh, it was a video, I think, from CES last year to do with, um, power broadcasting and charging your, your phone while it's maybe sitting, you know, sitting next to you from something in the ceiling that's going to go and, right. and, and charge your phone. And, yeah, you know, yeah, there were, there were all sorts of challenges with, with the, with the demonstration. Um, but, it, you know, I guess it was, it was an example that we definitely see things that are overhyped or a vaporware and will, you know, never ever be released, uh, at CES every year. But that's, that's part of the fun seeing what people are dreaming of. You know, some of what we see, I guess you could say it's science fiction, uh, to a
1: degree. It's funny because I just think Razer is really good at doing that. Like they're just, actually always like showing some stuff and I'm like, just make it like, just build it. Like, it's really cool. Why are you just like showing this to us and not like, I guess they're gauging interest or something. But anyway, um, going back to, you know, rolling, unrolling everything back from keyboards to, to the back to the uh, Zen book. So the thing that I have always found weak on the Zen books are the keyboard because they flex a little too much, but always they have been really nice, nicely made laptops too. So, as you know, what's special about this new ZenBook S they announced at CS? Interestingly, I figured they only announced a ZenBook a year and it would see it at Computex again, but here we are at CS and they launched another ZenBook S. And the ZenBook S, just to place it in your mind, is like that MateBook, the first MateBook from Huawei they made, which is basically purely a MacBook 12 inch competitor. Super thin, super light. Um, but more, better specs, right? Like these are Core i5, Core i7s, I think. They are not fanless or anything like that. And what's cool about this thing, um, but where the way it stands out is that it's even less bezel than the Huawei MateBook X Pro that we talked about before. So this thing is like, I don't, th- you saw a picture, right? It's, mm. it's insane. If you see it in person, you're like, there. this all display. Like it's, you cannot see a bezel almost. Yeah, and because simple. of that, uh, you know, they didn't know where to put the camera. And, you, you know, Dell puts it down on the XPS 13 there down below the screen, and it kind of looks ugly. Mostly it looks, makes you look ugly, uh, as you very well know. And then, you know, others have you tried. You don't really want a camera that's looking up your nose, you know, do you? Right, and, and we talked about it already. The, <laughs> the Huawei Mate 10 Pro, Mate X Pro, sorry, MateBook X Pro had it, had it in the function key, which has the same problem as Sim- the XPS. Similar challenge, yeah. And so these guys, what they did with the Zenbook S is they have a tiny little raised section that's about a third of the width of the screen in the middle of the, above the top bezel where the camera is hidden. I
0: really like that approach. And I think when you close great. the lid,
1: that little lip, is basically the stuff you, the one you catch to open the laptop right. with
0: one finger. So, so ra- rather than, you know, like in the MacBook you've got a little notch out of the bottom to, to create that effect. Yeah, it means you don't have to have the notch out of the bottom. If you've you think about it, it's a out.
1: reverse notch. Yeah. 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 In a way like if you looked at an iPhone, they, they did the reverse of that. Um,
0: <laughs> but in it, a in a very subtle way too because it's not it's not super uh, you know, it does, it does. It doesn't look bad at all. I think it works no. works very well from a design.
1: It's very interesting how uh, how subtle it is. At first, you don't even notice, and then you look at it and you're like, oh. And when you open and you see the bezel, you're like, oh, I see what they did here. And I mean, everything else about it looked pretty much like a carbon copy of what I saw at Computex on the model that they that I have. Um, but there are some drawbacks. So you, you can't have your cake and eat it too, unfortunately. So the thing that where I was like, wah, 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 you know, sad trombone was <laughs> during the, the briefing was the, the Zenbook S, that model with that little bezel, is a, so it's pretty impressive. It's a, a almost 14 inch, 13.9 inch display in a 12 inch form factor, right? Wow. But it's 1080p only. No 2K or 4K here. And the other sad trombone is no touchscreen. So if you're used to Windows 10 where you reach for your screen, this is not the laptop for you. And that's also why they're keeping the model from before, the one I have, that has the 4K option and the touchscreen option, I think, available, and maybe with an H-Gen refresh. The the ZenBook S and... um, and the previously mentioned Huawei Mate Book 13, both H Gen obviously Core i5, Core mm. i7. I mm. uh, might be—I'm not sure. There's a Core i3 option. I think these are kind of higher end anyway, so like they're not going to go for that. And then you know, switching to the next thing that Asus did, which is related, is you know, so far they've had the Vivo Book at the low end and the Zen and the Zen Book at the high end. And then you know, and there's some crossover. There's some lower end Zen books that fall in the same kind of price point as some higher end Vivo books, but they've introduced a new line. At CS this year, called the Studio Book, and the Studio Book is Studio Book S is called and that thing is like basically a, a you know video editing creative powerhouse's dream. It is not a gaming laptop, not as heavy and big and bulky and you know edgy looking as a gaming laptop. Like a lot of the creatives I know, a lot of the people um, that are YouTubers that I know um, are if they don't use Final Cut Pro on the Mac Book. And don't lug around a MacBook Pro 15 for video editing. They lug around a Razer 15 inch laptop, a gaming laptop essentially, because they want the, the performance of Premiere on that. Yeah, and that so would, that I think that's well. kind of the audience that the studio book mm. is addressing. It's a 17 inch laptop that fits in a 15, you know, that, that fits in, in size, form factor of a 15 inch MacBook Pro. And it has. You know, it's the ten. It's the same aspect ratio as the Mac, ten ten to 9, nineteen to sixteen sixteen ten instead of 169. Mm. Mm. So you can fit more vertically, which I like a lot. And you get, uh, you know, big keyboard, big trackpad. The trackpad has a, is has a numpad built in. Yeah, so that's it's interesting. In, I haven't seen that before. It's a hybrid between the touchpad they did. What was it called? Oh... Display pad or screen pad. They they did a laptop at at Computex uh, last year that had um, a trackpad that was a screen. So you could click on it just and use it like a normal trackpad, but but you could run its own apps on there and use it as a dual display. You could even do display mirroring and display, like, uh, you know, having a second display in Windows. And so this is kind of like a hybrid of that. It just basically pre etched in the keyboard. A, a thing that lights up with backlight, and that's a tripod. numpad, Yeah, and you can turn it on and off, so if you want to, yeah. like, you know. It's interesting, um, but what's really interesting is the specs. This has, like, a, some kind of crazy Radeon, like, you know, or whatever it is, uh, video card, uh, discrete, of course, with discrete cooling, which, as you know, is super critical, and it has, like, all the ports in the universe, and then it has uh, a Xeon, up to a Xeon uh, mobile processor from Intel, which, as we know, is like to me, it feels like complete overkill. Up to four terabyte SSD. What was? What's gigs, the Radeon? What Radeon around. card is this?
0: Uh, it, it's an Nvidia Quadro P thirty two hundred. So it's not a Radeon. It's, so, co- so it's a Quadro. That's yeah, what yeah. So it's 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 at that sort of. So um, it's that level. It's uh, like this mm-hmm. uh, end of things. Yeah. And so
1: and it doesn't look quite as ugly and bulky, and it's not quite as heavy as a, a gaming laptop. And it does, it does run on battery for a, a finite amount of time, which is cool. Um, related to that, they they had way more stuff. They also had, like, a, one of the new Zephyrus, a uh, Republic of Gamers ROG hmm. uh, gaming laptops that they talked about. And I don't want to talk about it too much other than one cool thing they did. They had dual AC adapters. One is a majorly large power brick to play games with it. Okay. Yeah. And you have to use that if you want to use the crazy, you know, you Nvidia want to fire up card the, in there and, and full on the, all the graphics. Assuming you're going to be playing games at home or at yeah, your office yeah. or some fixed location that you can plug in. And if you don't want to do that, if you just want to do lightweight work. They have a USB Type C, sixty-five watt small adapter that the, that charges the battery and use, lets the laptop run as long as you don't run the discrete graphics. Cool, it's the best of both worlds. I thought that was really clever. Yeah, you pack yeah. the little USB C thing with you when you go on the go, and then you maybe keep uh, a big powerful charger at the office and a big powerful charger at home to play games.
0: Yeah, that's that's um, a good approach. What, one th- one thing with the uh, the Studio Book S is that. It looks like it looks like a you know really nicely designed laptop, and this is I guess really a trend we've been seeing for a num a number of years. Um, you know, that Windows laptops, uh, you know, finally actually look nice. It used to be that if you wanted a good looking laptop, you had to buy a MacBook, right? Yeah, there was no, no other option. But the last few years, we've really seen that changing. And, and, you know, I think Azus have had a, you know, have had their part to play in that. Uh, obviously Microsoft with, um, you know the surface uh, line as well as has has helped in that journey.
1: Yeah, I, I'm really happy. I mean, I think ASUS has been a big part of that. Remember when the you know after the MacBook Air was launched, just within weeks or even months, I think it was weeks of the MacBook Air the the not the very original, but the the one that we're all familiar with today. You know the 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 wedge shaped MacBook Air that mm. came in two mm. sizes, eleven and thirteen. When that was launched. The that that's also roughly after around the time that Intel came out with the UltraBook concept that's and right. everybody jumped on board. And if you remember, this was I remember this so clearly back then. The first UltraBook ever made was from Asus. It was the original Zen book. And they were the first to really take that that, you know, industrial design that Apple had brought to the table and and iterate on it and, and kind of create their own style, right? They have the, they still have that that round circular brushed finish on top That's of their lids. Right. Like yeah. they still yeah. have that. Yeah. And that was introduced with the original Zen book. And mm. so, mm. you know, if anybody's really paid attention to laptop design, I feel, uh, other than Apple, of course. In the early days of the ultrabook, it was mm. it was Asus, and then yeah. obviously Microsoft has done that. I think Acer's full. I think everybody's. I mean, well, everybody's I, I jumped feel, on board now, right? Yeah, I feel like well, yeah. Dell in the last few years, the XPS thirteen. I mean, it's not my thing, but I can understand why people are buying it. It's a really good looking laptop. Um, and, you know...
0: Well, let's face it, a lot of people aren't looking at what the specifications are. They're looking at whether they like the design of the, yeah. oh, the laptop. And, and, that looks nice. I'll buy it. And as
1: you said earlier, when we talk about the Matebooks from Huawei, I mean, Dell, you know who you're going to have the support you want. If you're a business customer and you buy a Dell laptop, you know, you're not going to be without a laptop for more than like five minutes, basically, if it goes bad, right? Because they have these crazy service plans. They'll come to your house and whatever, right, or to your office. I don't see an individual paying for these kind of plans. And I mean, Apple has very good, a very good setup too. But you still need to go to an Apple store to really benefit from it with Apple Care.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, in, in in New Zealand, we don't get. Uh, well, we don't have any any Apple stores and. Uh, yeah there's no on site for um for yeah most most of the uh well for apple and then you know most of these other sort of non uh you know mainstream business brands so uh, yeah you do, you do miss out i mean even you know i guess with products like um you know the apple products and the surface products, most of those have to go back to base and i mean they' they're not repairable anyway, so you're basically getting a replacement yeah
1: and and so anyway so the and the last thing that trod my eye out of was, I, I mentioned there was a Zephyrus gaming laptop that actually had the dual AC adapter, so that was cool. But that, you know, it's just another, it's just another NVIDIA based, like, gaming laptop. But then they showed us this Republic of Gamers mothership the laptop two in one. And I'm going to quote myself, because I've been doing this on the podcast lately, <laughs> and it's kind of delightful, because it's so narcissistic. I, I, I
0: read this on, uh, um, I think it went up on Facebook. Like yeah, no, it, it, was on, on, it
1: was on Facebook too, but yeah. uh, mostly I think a lot of people are looking at my Instagram. Uh, here's my description of this product. One day, a Surface, a Surface computer from uh, from Microsoft, and a gaming laptop got frisky, and out came the Asus ROG Mothership 2-in-1 mobile gaming workstation thingy. Very cool. And so if you look at my Instagram, you'll see that thing and it is hard to describe it because when it's closed it looks like a really heavy bulky not super bulky like in the old days but modern bulky like about an inch thick. Mm-hmm. All metal. Aluminum, like super heavy duty gaming laptop. And it weighs the part. I swear the thing weighs 12 pounds or something.
0: Yeah, well, that w- this was and one of the aspects I was curious about. It's it? heavy. 10 yeah. pounds. There
1: you go. It says 10 yeah. pounds on, on the Vert. So, so my point is that the thing is heavy and it's not really designed to be a laptop replacement. And, and it all makes sense when you prop it up and a little kickstand comes out of it, just like a surface. And then you can, you, you can you know, open the lid like a laptop, but then you quickly realize that the lid is detachable, but it's not soft cover like a Surface would be. It's a, it's a hard cover, and the cover itself that contains the, the keyboard and trackpad falls on itself once detached to create what looks just basically like a wireless keyboard with built-in trackpad. And so you can use this thing with the keyboard attached or the keyboard detached, wirelessly with the keyboard detached, or there's a USB-C port in the back when it's detached that you can plug into the USB-C so that you have lower latency if you're gaming. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, yeah. of course, you have the option of plugging your own keyboard and or your uh, wireless or wired. So this is really interesting because like, I think the way they're positioning this thing is if you're a hardcore gamer but you travel, maybe you go to competitions like LAN parties or whatever kids do these days. Get off my lawn, you know, because I don't <laughs> know what – honestly, I have no idea. I know the esports are huge and people get together in these rooms and they fight each yeah, other to the yeah. dead. And, and I mean, imagine you do this a lot. In the old days, you'd have to lug this heavy laptop with a big power supply. Now you got this thing. It's still, still somewhat heavy, four yeah, but, and a half but, kilos, Yeah, but my point pounds. is it, it's like – you, you now have like essentially almost a desktop-level-grade mm. workstation-style mm. uh, gaming laptop in front of you. The display on this thing is only 1080p, 17 inches. But get this, 144 hertz refresh rate, three millisecond response time. Um, it's fast. That display is perfect for gaming. So it's just interesting. You know what cool. else it has? It has three 512 gig SSDs in it. Yeah. No, but here's, here's it gets crazier than that. So it's discrete G- Nvidia, and they graphics. run those
0: together on RAID zero. So you're getting exactly you're getting so, triple so, 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 no, no, the performance. Wait, I'll get to that.
1: Of course, there's an Nvidia card with its own cooling, so it doesn't you know the CPU cooling doesn't affect the GPU cooling, vice versa. But here's what killed me. Like I was like, oh my god, overkill, overkill, overkill. Three five twelve um, gig SSDs. Two of them directly connected to the CPU with their own bus. Not relying on the chipset from Intel to be connected. The third one is on the chipset, like S-P-C-I-E-X, whatever it is. Mm. It's insane. And you can rate two, zero of these two, and then you're like, madness. Um, but interestingly, you know, we talked about the studio book earlier with its Xeon. I thought for mm. sure they threw a Xeon in this. No, yeah. it's Core i9. So... I don't know. <laughs> I don't understand it. But isn't the Xeon better than a Core i nine?
0: Um, I would say the Core i nine is p- probably f- um, faster in a lot of cases. I and it's going to depend on your, you know, on your use cases. Um, yeah, that would be. I mean, but that would that would be my pick. Also, the um, the Xeons tend to come uh, a little bit further down the track. So you know, you get an eighth eighth gen um core i9 and it'll be a little while before there's a xeon that sort of you know okay I mean, so, xeon has some other things so
1: that makes sense then Caching, uh, but anyway that, look yeah. it's really interesting because it really feel like you know it's such a unique product and i think it totally i can see it at the market like i can totally see why somebody would if they're a hardcore gamer would look at that and you know consider that maybe instead or in addition or something to a laptop gaming laptop
0: it might not work on your lap Oh, uh, because it's got a kickstand, yeah, uh, and it's and really I'm, heavy. And I'm not sure about the weight of the you know the, the the keyboard side, so you'd probably want to be putting it on a on a desk or a table.
1: Absolutely, uh, yeah. So that's basically it. I mean, it took us. Oh, a by while. by the way, with...
0: it, the keyboard looks really cool. All the lighting, like you know, like we're used to with a lot of the gaming machines, they light up. Well, this you can't see inside and see the fans and things going, but. Um, you know, lot, lots of lots of slick sort of colors, and I presume customized uh, Oh yeah. I think with, it has with, indiv- with the keyboard, the trackpad. You can individual you know, light,
1: RGB on each on each key. I light believe. it up, yeah. all up. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, cool. and you know, and this basically wraps up the whole ASUS Republic of Gamers and ASUS non Republic of Gamer announcements. The ZenBook S ultra portable laptop, the StudioBook S, uh, you know, workstation grade like video at creator's dream. And this weird, crazy gaming laptop two-in-one workstation thing. And, you know, I, I was really surprised because, you know, I wasn't expecting that much from Asus for CS, honestly. So, I mean, you know, CS is not a phone show. I mean, like, if you came here to the show, my dear listeners, for phone news, it's going to be dire There's a bit, I talked about Alcatel. There's more coming later in the week that I can't talk about it yet because I'm hoping to have a second show on Thursday night with a bunch of uh, my media journalist YouTuber friends. So stay tuned for another show hopefully this week. But what I'm saying is that, you know, I hope we're not boring you to death with the laptops, but that's really all we have to talk about. There's a few phone things I want to talk about at the end though, but I think we should switch gears because you probably have more to say about this is televisions, and LG and Samsung both showed some really cool TVs. I mean, that's not really my thing because mobile tech podcast, but at the same time, New Zealand tech podcast. So let's uh, let's get that going.
0: Yeah, well, look, um, we certainly expect CES to be the show for TVs. And I, I remember uh, one year, and uh, I was – Interviewed. i did a tv interview around uh, a samsung tv and i sort of slated it a little bit and um, more from the perspective of talking to your sort of m- a mainstream you know typical audience um, there's only a small percentage of people that really are super interested in the top end tvs right but for those that are CES is the place to come oh, because yeah. this is where all the announcements I mean, this is where happen.
1: 4K launched years back. This is where 3D TVs launched years back. And I think this year is 8K. This is a year of 8K because, I mean, 8K, look, five years ago I saw an, a Sharp 8K TV at the Sharp booth and it blew my mind. It was massive too. It was like 120 inches or something. But my point is, it's like, this is like, was pie in the sky, like, you know, $100,000 one off TV. Yeah, we, we, we keep seeing it for years and years This and years. is the year where they announced both LG and Samsung 8K TVs you can buy. In fact, Samsung, I wouldn't say had the audacity, but almost want to say they had the audacity of saying available for pre order today.
0: Yeah, yeah. They did
1: say it. Yeah. But I mean, I don't think it's that audacious, but it's interesting.
0: Yeah, well, the, th- the thing around um, 8K is who needs 8K, right? And if we roll back a few years, maybe the five years you're talking, five years ago that you're talking about, you know, it was only that stage. Yes, we could see 8K being shown off at CES, but 4K was still, you know, that was a big purchase. Yes. Uh, that was really just just starting out. And we were questioning, do we need 4K TVs at that stage? Do we really need 4K TVs? <laughs> and, you know, I remember at that stage myself, I've, you know, always been quite a fan of projectors. It seems to, you know, create a more cinematic experience and so on. And, you know, I felt that my full HD projector gave me a good result and, you know, look, I'm not really seeing, you know, I'm, I'm not noticing the pixels there. It looks good. Do we, you know, do we, do we need any more? But I think, you know, anyone who's gone to a 4K screen knows, yeah. knows the difference. And so, you know, I've been pondering, do, well, do we need, do we need 8K? Are we going to recognize the difference? And I guess what, uh, what I've been hearing about over the last, last couple of days is, well, you really notice 4K, even in a, you know, even in a laptop screen, even quite a small screen, certainly noticing TVs of a whole range of sizes. But as we start getting to TVs of bigger and bigger sizes and the, the, yeah. you know, the average size TVs that we buy mm-hmm. is just going up every, every, every single year. Uh, and so they're talking around the sort of 65 inch size and up that's where it's going to be, you know, it's really going to make a difference in terms of the viewing experience, jumping to 8K. Now, we do have a little problem, and there's no genuine 8K content. Yeah, but we had uh, that with
1: 4K, remember? Yeah. I mean, there was no 4K content for a long time.
0: And there still isn't much from a broadcast perspective. It's very much being delivered through the likes of, uh, you know, Netflix. Uh, Amazon, uh, yeah. Yeah, Prime Video and, and, and so on. Um, and, and of course, uh, you can get 4K Blu-ray as, as well. Uh, but look, it, it, it seems like, um, yep, yeah, 8, 8K is what we will, uh, what we will start seeing and it won't be, uh, uh, you know, too many years before it's, before it's the norm, but you've got to be on the cutting edge if you're going to be buying into it uh, right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's going to be expensive for a while, but I'm excited that it's actually products that you can buy as a consumer, right? Mm-hmm. If you're very rich, go nuts and <laughs> enjoy it while you can, you know. And we all have,
0: we all have different preferences, right? You yes. Know, for, for me personally, that's not what I'm lining up to right. buy, but I know other people... Who you know they want the new 8K OLED from LG, and they will you know they will do whatever it takes to make sure that uh, uh, the, that they get one. Um, so yeah, I think it, you know it's pretty pretty exciting that um, you know LG have got that 8K uh, yep. OLED, uh, Samsung, of course, with, uh, with the
1: They have a Q... They, they launched a QLED. QLED, which is uh, their sort of variation yeah. on,
0: on um, I think OLED. I'm um, not sure
1: is it, if it's OLED or LCD. It, it is OLED. It's OLED, right? It is OLED. Yeah, so they are their QLED, and it was a large one, like an 80-inch or something, 8K. Um, but what I thought was really cool was a couple of things I saw from both Samsung and... Uh, And LG, the first thing was LG made a, last year they showed a prototype TV that rolled, the screen rolled out of a pedestal and rolled back into it. Like, you can't see the roll of of the screen when it's rolled up because it's inside the box. But you basically have a box sitting there that has a speaker and the soundbar in it. And then you push a button and it, it just kind of there's a slit and the screen kind of raises out of the slit vertically, and kind of sits there. And you can have different aspect ratios, right? You can have mm-hmm. twenty-one by nine, you can have you know eighteen by nine, sixteen by nine, whatever aspect ratio you want, really, to suit the content. So I don't, I think it tops off at sixty-nine.
0: I, I like this because I don't like having screens around right. the place. So I prefer exactly. there were no screens. And, and, and again, yeah. that, that, you know. I that don't think it does 4 by
1: 3 but I think it would be cool if it did for legacy content. Yeah, yeah. That way you never have black borders on anything you watch. Um, and the cool thing is there's a mode where it retracts in a very, like just a sliver of it stills out, like maybe, uh, you know, 20 centimeters of it. Mm, mm. Um, maybe, you know, like, what, what, the five inches, four inches? Mm. And what it is, is it's just an ambient display. It shows the temperature, whatever song you're listening to on the speaker system. Right, because
0: um, the bass that it rolls into is yes, a, is because a it, speaker it just, system. Yes, because right? it
1: just rolls out a little bit just to yeah. show you that ambient information. Yeah. Uh, it's obviously going to be, they didn't say pricing is going to be ridiculously expensive. But the effect, like, and it's so much smoother and better looking than what they showed last year. I can say amazing to me that in a year, we didn't just go from prototype to commercial product, but we went from prototype that looked okay to commercial product that looks phenomenal. Mm. So, like, they've worked really hard on this. And it's called the Signature R OLED TV. And it, as I said, I think the best way of describing these kind of TVs is a roll up TV, because even though it technically rolls out upward and then it rolls back in inward, really, it's, you know, the screen is rolling itself up inside the container, into the yeah, box. And yeah. the box has like Atmos, Adobe Atmos, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And You'd it, certainly you know, expect them to pull out all HDR the HDR10, and like, I mean, it, it's, it's, yeah. it's just magnificent. Yeah, um, yeah. And it comes in different sizes. I can't remember the exact the diagonal size on that, um, but that was cool. And then, conversely, Samsung, not wanting to be outdone, came out with a 75-inch micro-LED TV. And I don't know if you remember, last year at CS, micro-LED was the big wow thing that Samsung showed. And if you don't know what we're talking about is, you know when you go to like a concert or some sort of venue and you see those giant screens and you maybe you're near one of them and you can see the pixels You can close. see the pixels, right? Because they're individually is, lit up. They're, they're individual, individual RGB LEDs. Yeah. And you can see the array of them. Mm. And if you go further away, it blurs into a nice high-resolution display. But as you're close, you see them. And so, they're so bright. right? And so micro-LED is that concept but shrunk down to a size where the pixels are so small that you might not see them when you're close up. So a 75-inch 4K micro-LED TV from Samsung means that you can now have a TV that has all the advantages of OLED, the incredible brightness, the incredible contrast ratio, the ink-deep blacks. Because they you can know, turn off the, the pixel and perfect line. whites. yeah. But never wears out, and never burns in that is what micro led brings to the table, and that 's why micro LED has been such a big deal. but last year it was more sold as as a kind of like again prototype and more like commercial application. you have a wall you want to create um, and not as not in the sense of the wall as a big spectacle, but like something much yeah. higher resolution that's closer range, but now they 're literally saying. We're making these TVs for consumers in a modular format. You can create the size you want with the resolution you want. So you wanna go 8K? You can. You just add modules. Of course, the screen gets really big. But it's insane. It's really cool. I think even I, who doesn't really care too much about TVs, as you can tell, right now on the show, I'm getting really excited about
0: it. But you probably wouldn't trade your Tesla for one, would you?
1: Uh, No, no, (laughs) no. Because you know what? The reality is this. As you talked about projectors, you know, Theo and I have a... 1080p optoma projector that we're very happy with Mm. and that's what we watch our content which is streamed off of you know many streaming services through an apple tv and it's perfect you know we don't really own a television the biggest monitor i have until i switch up to my 80 inch, whatever 85 90 inch uh, you know roll down screen with the projector is a 27 inch imac
0: now, you you just touched on something there. There's a big gap uh, there
1: between 27 inches and then 80, 90 yeah, inches of my yeah. projector.
0: Yeah, that's, um, I mean, it, it's just, a, it's a huge, huge difference. Um, but you touched on the Apple TV. Now, CES is the place where right. all the news has come out yeah. around and Apple partnering up with the TV manufacturers. And, and that was
1: going to be my second thing that I was going to yeah. bring up about Samsung and LG.
0: So, this is interesting, though, that from, uh, Sony, LG, Samsung, Samsung, who else have we got? Sense, I think. There's there's a bunch of them. I mean, it it just looks as though Miracast, which has become, you know, standard in any sort of smart type of TV, now will be augmented, um, by AirPlay 2 yeah. so and what you've been able to do from an, Chromecast built in too. and Chromecast, yeah. yeah. So, so what you can do with your Android device in terms of putting, you know, putting things up onto your TV. Now that will work from an iPad or an iPhone or an Android or an
1: phone with the right app. Believe it or not, I do it all the time. <laughs> I, str- oh, okay. I cast yeah, yeah. I cast from my Android apps, Android phones to an Apple TV. Right, right. So, so here's the thing, like, you know, so there's two levels of that though, right? One level is those, so LG has announced, for example, that every single one of the new TVs for 2019 is AirPlay casting support. So I meaning it, mm. it can be a sync, can mm. receive AirPlay ca- broadcasts. Uh, you know, so that means you can send audio and video or both to a LG TV without having an Apple TV. Or right? just
0: have a look at your photos, whatever. Right, whatever yeah. it is,
1: and that's big, big deal because Apple probably has the most solid casting standard there is out there. It's the most reliable. It's the nicest quality. It's so really, really, they've done, a, they've, done a, they've done a special job. I have to admit that I wish all my devices had AirPlay, even though I'm not a big, huge fan of Apple I, iOS devices.
0: Reliability-wise, AirPlay seems Solid. so much better so than, than Miracast, than than So Wi-Fi cast, which the Direct, industry
1: cast, or like back, what was the other thing, D, DLNA, remember that? Back in the day? Anyway, the point is that there's another level. So Samsung's doing the same thing. You can cast AirPlay to their new TVs. But they went one step beyond, and this is kind of blowing my mind. And we need to talk about this, especially with the context within the context of last week's Apple announcement uh, of, of of you know uh, uh, different guidance, lower, worse guidance in terms of their financials, right? The thing that Samsung's let, that they're letting Samsung do that Apple seems okay with, and Samsung is doing, is a level two where you can watch Apple TV. Apple iTunes content on a Samsung TV without an Apple TV. Now it's not the U the UX the UI is not Apple's UI, which is even weirder because Apple never gives up on their user experience. So what you're going to be able to do is you're going to be able to log in to your Apple account, is what I presume, on a Samsung TV. And any content you have sitting in your iTunes queue of movies, TV shows, music, you'll be able to stream um, to the, directly to the Samsung TV without an Apple TV. And with their own UI, like, is the world collapsing around us? Paul, what do you think here?
0: Well, so there, there's something wrong because, you know, I think we're… <laughs> we're, we're, we're the universe we're, is folding we're, under we're itself. told by uh, uh, Walter Isaacson that… Uh, um you know apple were going to be releasing actually a you know a, a tv but that you know that was years ago and it you know never happened uh you know all we've had is the apple tv box and because apple haven't gone down that track then i think you know this is an absolute you know necessity for for the, for them i don't think that they make a huge amount of money out of selling their apple uh, apple tv box uh and yeah i i mean i don't see It is a surprise. It is a surprise because this is not what we're used to from Apple. But I think there's something changing within Apple and, and, you know, maybe they're, they're, you know, taking something out of, uh, uh, Microsoft's book. I'm, you know, I'm not quite sure. I'm trying to get my head around exactly what's going on. I have an idea. You know, there's, uh, there's, there's definitely a a change of foot here.
1: I have an idea. So So the first thing is I'm not surprised about the AirPlay part. The AirPlay part makes perfect sense to me because it's not the first time that airplay devices exist kenwood makes receivers with airplay you know so does pioneer like that's not that weird so that i was like awesome let's i want every tv to have airplay on there.
0: but airplay in the past has just been audio that's what i'm saying no yeah. no it's
1: also been video in some cases but, but the, the point is, is that, that it it's not being streaming Apple TV content mm, directly yeah, to yeah, the yeah. device. That's that's what Samsung worked out with them. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of blowing my mind because that means you're not selling an Apple TV Apple and you're, not, you're giving up on the user, like you're giving up the control over the user experience, which is something you tightly control. So I have a theory and the theory is this, is that obviously Apple has seen that they're you know, profits were going down with the phones and their guidance, uh, you know, was going to have to be uh, updated for the investors, which is what Tim Cook did at the end of 2018, just before the end of the year, or was it the beginning of 2019
0: now? The beginning of the year. Yeah, beginning.
1: So it was, okay. The point is that they obviously have been seeing this happening and have been trying to come up with solutions and mitigate, you know, and, and adjust, right? I mean, a company with a leader that's smart, I think they've been on top of it. They they have a strategy. And I think a lot of that strategy is, you know, they're not going to abandon hardware. This is not Apple. They're not going to do that. But I think that they're also diversifying and they've been pushing really hard on services, right? And so if you buy Apple TV service and you watch it on a Samsung TV, maybe it's still beneficial to them, and clearly they seem to be okay with that. And I think that's kind of where we're going. And so the next big discussion is more mobile-related, but is the whole discussion around iMessage on Android. And I just (laughs) want to bring it up, because Dieter Bohm at The Verge wrote a really great article about how he thinks that Apple, not from a business perspective, from a moral imperative perspective, <laughs> should offer iMessage to Android users, even if it's for pay. So his theory was: what if Apple made iMessages available for a subscription of $4.99 a year to Android users, so that those Android users that have a lot of other friends and their friends in the iMessage ecosystem benefit from the iMessage ecosystem? And perhaps maybe switch to an iPhone. Who knows? But the point is, to me, I I agree with it because. And his his approach was this: it was like, look, we live in a day and age. Our regime in this country is trying to destroy our privacy, and our secu- and is definitely not understanding and focused on security in any way. They don't seem to get it, so they want to spy on us more and more. So you know, iMessage is encrypted and it's hard to to crack. And Apple has shown over and over again that they're not going to let people access the encrypted stuff even if they're you know terrible people which you know is a moral dilemma but it's what they do. And I support that. I think that I think that they have the right idea and that privacy and security should be first. And so as such, especially for communication like this. And so you know rcs and all these other things are not encrypted so you know whatsapp is but you know that's facebook do we trust facebook now i don't i mean <laughs> anyway so the, the point is you know like we live in a very difficult time and i think this difficult time is making our privacy and security more at risk and i think apple has the means to help and i think it's mostly relevant for the u.s market but you know People from abroad communicate with U.S. people all the time. I communicate with you all the time. You're in New Zealand. I'm in the U.S. So I think that that's kind of where Dieter was going with mm, Like mm, He was mm. like saying, you know, let's have a moral imperative. Let's make sure that we uh, let give people the option to have that security and privacy, even if they can't afford or don't want to buy an iPhone. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the right way to do. I would actually consider paying for iMessage for 4 99 even though technically I think it's, the implementation sucks, and I don't think they did it right, and I think WhatsApp did it way better. But that's not the point. I think that there's such an investment. I in message in the people who use it in this country, and it's really much more of a U.S. phenomenon than anywhere else in the world. That I think it needs to happen, and so of course Apple's not going to do it. And Dieter says it himself. He's like, "This is pie in the sky," but it's my opinion, and I believe I agree with his opinion.
0: Well, we I guess we'll, you know, we'll we'll see where our Apple changes. But the other thing that they uh, that they just recently announced is. Uh, Apple Music becoming available not uh, just on Apple uh, devices, on the um, HomePod, uh, but also Amazon Echo. Yes, yeah, uh, so that's which, also so, something so that... The, there there so, is a so, change of foot so, here with an Apple. So, Something's going on.
1: You're right. And so, so this iMessage is distraction that I just went through, just because I thought, sorry, and I agree with it. But the whole point of what I'm trying to get to here is that all of this tells me that Apple's potentially putting more focus on its services and trying to benefit financially from them without necessarily relying on their own hardware and I think it's actually very clever because it sends a message to the investors, mm. and that's what they want to hear. They're like, mm. "Services is the future." Well, here are your here is what we're doing about that, right? Mm. And mm. I think that's very clever. And maybe that's you know maybe that's kind of like a smart strategy on Apple's part. I don't know if the stock went up today. You should well, check.
0: Well, no, I was actually curious about Spotify's uh, mar- market uh, mar- market cap because. Um, the, you know, the, the app, well, Apple Music is, you know, is just one of Apple's, uh, one of Apple's services, but they're, they're doing, uh, and I haven't seen the, you know, the very latest figures. Uh, but my recollection was that you know they're not too far off Spotify in terms of their uh, in terms of their numbers. And maybe they're even past Spotify uh, now in terms of you know number of subscriptions and so on. But they're doing very very strongly. So interesting. Uh, you know, Apple are doing very very well out of their services. And you know when you look at this sort of you know breakdown, yes, you know the iPhone is is uh, is still a lion's share of their. Uh, um their profits, but services are becoming a, a bigger and bigger chunk. So, you know, from, from their perspective over time, if they can't necessarily have everyone on an iPhone, which we know that they can't Uh, then they, they still want people to be using, uh, using their services. So, uh, what do we got? Market cap of, um, 21 billion, uh, US dollars for, uh, for Spotify. So, um, you know, that, that, that's just one small piece of what they're doing, a business that they didn't have five years ago. And they've built that into, if you broke it out, you know, I would imagine you know, probably somewhat similar valuation to, uh, uh, to Spotify. So, yeah, I think they're, uh, they're heading in the right direction in terms of uh, building their business on, uh, on services.
1: Yeah, that's cool. So, listen, um, we're starting to run out of time a little bit, but there's three more topics I want to really hit on quickly that are actually phone-related, so they matter a lot to my audience. And these are three devices we saw at CS. Um, and they're not new. I want to make that clear so I don't get too excited. Uh, Well, one of them is potentially new. So the three devices are the Planet Computers Cosmo Communicator, um, which was not announced at CS. It was announced before, but it really got its kind of homecoming here this week, particularly yesterday at CS Unveiled. Then there is um, the Pundi X phone, which is a blockchain phone. That was definitely new for CS. And then there is the Royal FlexPi, that was announced around the same time, just a week or so, or a few days before Samsung showed their first uh, folding prototype at the developer conference in October, November 2018. So, uh, of course, the Royal Flex Pi is not new, but my point is, this is again a big homecoming because it was only shown, I think, at MWC Shanghai or some some place in Asia, where um, you know I didn't really get that much you know, eyeballs other than some, a few journalists, right? So here, obviously it was at, uh, Pepcom tonight. And again, mostly journalists, but I think it's CES. So they probably have a booth somewhere or they're meeting with people and it's going to be seen more. And also I have to say that compared to the videos I saw of the device they showed in October, November, this one was much better. The, there was no waviness on the OLED flexible panel. Mm, okay. So just to fill you in quickly on these three phones, the royal. let's try the Royal Flex Pi. Uh, so that is basically, it kind of looks the size of a passport. Okay. You know, yeah. But thicker. Yeah. And when it's folded up and then it, un- it's a flex, it's a folding foldable, whatever you want to call it. Folding. So it's a
0: reasonably big phone to start yeah,
1: with. It's a folding or foldable phone, if you want to call it that, that the form factor when shut is the same outline as a passport. Uh, probably about an inch thick, though, because it doesn't fold perfectly flat at the edge, right? It's got a curve there. And it doesn't fold with the display inside the, sh- the clamshell. The display is on the outside of the clamshell when it's folded. So you basically have a display in the front and a display to the back that are attached together through the hinge on the side. Um, and then if you expand it, it turns into basically what looks like a tablet. Like you unfold it, it looks like a tablet that's 7.5 inches, I think. Um, 1920 by 1440p. Um, And then spec-wise, it's basically flagship specs. You know, Snapdragon 8 series, 800 series, we don't know which one. Uh, Like, larger amounts of RAM, larger amounts of storage. Uh, all the, all the you know big battery big like, fa- fancy dual camera blah blah blah, so obviously they didn 't you know this this is available for developers at this point, not for the general public, although that 's going to start soon, and at that point they 'll reveal the real specs, but I can somehow say Paul and this is a super exciting part that i 've touched a folding or foldable phone and it's a complete gimmick, but it didn't suck. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I yeah. don't think you need that. Well, I don't you, think
0: you showed me probably this time around. This time last year, maybe December last year, another folding phone, but it had two separate yeah, had screens two, rather yeah, than actually exactly. a completely flexible screen. That was the
1: Axon M, That's and fine. I took it to CS with me last year. Yeah, so I think what I'm saying here is like again, the gimmick factor is there. It's cool if you're a nerd; you're going to love it, early adopter. But it's going to be really expensive. We're looking at something like fourteen hundred dollars. And more importantly, you know, if it's in tablet mode, like expanded open, it's a very large display. It's nice, seven point five inches, but is it? It's not that much bigger than like a six point five inch smartphone. Number one, number two, none of the apps are optimized for tablet. Remember, Android sucks at being a tablet OS. <laughs> like, there's no good tablet use for Android. Like, I think people who buy an Android tablet, unless they're buying like a Kindle Fire and consuming content on it, like they're making a. Tre- Terrible mistake. I think they should buy an iPad, honestly. So, you know, do you need it? No. Do you want it? Yeah, maybe. Because as I said, it's very gimmicky, but very, very cool. Yeah, I haven't
0: quite picked out, uh, yeah, picked out the use cases for it yet. I did see something interesting in terms of it being dual SIM that you can uh, have, uh, one SIM card assigned to one side, uh, while it's folded and one SIM card assigned, uh, to the other side. So, uh, you know, when it, when it rings, maybe a different t- tone or something on each side, uh, determines which way around you, uh, uh, spin the phone or something. Um, yeah, very interesting. I'm sure you there will be. Try will. to fold it the
1: other way; it will actually physically break. So, yeah,
0: <laughs> there will be some. Uh, yeah, there will be some use cases for people that are going to uh, you know to get some particular benefit out of it. But I'm not sure that this is uh, you know anywhere near mainstream anytime soon. I'm, c- I'm curious what Samsung will do with their with their take on it, and we'll see that during the year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It'll mm. be interesting to find out. Um So, the other two phones really quickly before we wrap up um uh, the so the Pondi x phone is uh there's two things going for it it 's a blockchain phone i 've heard that so many times and it's it 's kind of silly right but the other thing that 's interesting about it is that it is Uh, industrial design was really interesting it's very angular kind of like a razor phone but it's got the edges are cut at weird like angles so it's not Mm. like perfectly rectangular rectangular it's like more like a parallelogram phone and it's matte white which is a total fingerprint magnet every phone they showed me was disgusting and I, i was like seriously guys like just get some wipes and clean this thing before you hand it to a journalist like you know how some small companies they just don't know how to like put a good public image out there, I wish that they would just learn. It's kind of weird to me that they don't even think of that. Anyway, um, so in terms of specs, kind of like a flagship level phone, and it looks about the normal size and shape, other than the design being very unique, uh, and the color and this matte white. But what's really cool is if you slide... Uh, if you're on the main screen where you see like, all the Google Play services app and Facebook and whatever else, like the normal Android experience, um, which is, as we know, not super secure and not super private, um, if you... Uh, that's on that home screen, and you swipe from the edge to the... What? Hold on. They're not super secure and private? No. <laughs> you, Sorry. no, it's, it's not like an iPhone, where it's a lot more safe and secure and private. We're um, talking about Android. Of course. So if you slide from the left edge to the right, of the, to, to the right on the screen what happens is you, it switches to another mode where the whole, like the whole des, industrial like visual design changes to a black and white that kind of matches the color of the white phone. It's really cool. And in that mode, you're kind of like in the private, privacy and security enforced mode where everything that happens in that mode is not visible by the other half and not visible by potential hackers, spoofers, whatever. And so there's a blockchain wallet, there's a messaging app that lets you, you know, have very highly encrypted secure messaging, secure phone calls as well. Um, Very, very interesting. And um, I liked it for for a couple of things. Number one, it's in really unique design. And number two, uh, it's just like, it's the best implementation I've seen so far of blockchain phone, because all the blockchain phones try to like, you know, either they send blocks the blockchain in this weird le- level that's inside like kind of what Samsung does with the Knox in a way and it kind of works or like BlackBerry does with some of other stuff on the BlackBerry uh, security software mm-hmm. um, or they, they don't have that at all like they remove like Google Play services because it's more secure that way and then you can't use it, it's not an Android phone anymore it's a dumb freaking phone like you can't do anything with it, yeah, I can't yeah. install any apps that are relevant to me um and it may be good for enterprise at that point or good for like for defense right but it's useless for the average user so this thing is cool because you can switch between the two and you know it uses a fingerprint reader in the back if you want to authenticate and stuff. So it's it's. I just think it's it's very clever. And um, you know, I'm, it certainly
0: yeah it comes across as 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 um you know, as being quite unique in those regards. I haven't delved into all the aspects of how they secure it and yeah, whether whether it actually lives up. Obviously, they've certainly got a good story right. to tell, haven't they? I
1: obviously don't know how they're doing <laughs> it. And uh, function X is kind of the back end, uh, kind of like software that, that mm. makes that happen. And also, uh, just wanted to say, you know, I'm just a sucker for cool form factors. And in the same way as the Royal Flex Pi is this weird folding phone, this is this weird, like edgy, different design, and that's got all that blockchain stuff to it, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. And then the third one is more and, like,
0: and this one you were quite excited about, could I could say,
1: which. The third one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, so look, look, the reality is this. If you remember the Scion Series 5, um, kind of communicator PDA from the 90s, early 90s, uh, that thing was basically imagine a laptop shrunk down in size to the size of a Note 9, roughly in form factor and in, in surface area, a lot of you thicker. And it's clamshell, you open it, and you've got a keyboard with kind of regular keys with the regular key travel, but shrunken down in size for mini fingers. And then you've got a display on the top. So it basically looks like a laptop without a trackpad, um, but shrunken down to the size of the footprint of a Note 9 and thicker. That was a Psyon 5, and it was like a PDA organizer. Uh, you know, uh, data bank type device. It was very popular. It had a huge following. It was really cool.
0: Yeah, I um, I remember seeing it in computer magazines and so on. I don't remember whether I actually saw one in person. I certainly don't don't recall using one. But it was yeah it had so much coverage over you know quite a number of years. Uh, you know, before right. we moved on to to other things like Palm Pilots, exactly,
1: and so on. and, and Cion. Uh, was the f- one of the first companies to use ARM chips. Like, this is like when ARM wasn't a thing yet. So anyway, the point I'm trying to, to get to here is that there's a company last year, uh, a couple of years ago called G- Plant Computers that came out with a product called the Gemini PDA, which is basically, they, they took the concept of the Scion 5 and turned it into an Android device. Um, so it is same clamshell, big, kind of larger keyboard and six inch screen with full on Android, you know, some MediaTek processor and you call it a day. But because it didn't have it, – it, it, when it's shut, you can't really see notifications or incoming calls. You know, even though it had LTE, and there was a Wi-Fi-only version, mind you, but even though it had LTE on some models, it was a bit awkward to use. And so th- what they showed at at uh, at CS last night at uh, Unveiled – is something that I started crowdfunding on Nigogo a few weeks ago, which is the Gen 2 of this product, called not the Gemini PDA, but the Cosmo Communicator. I don't know why they changed the name, but basically they remedied the problems of the first one. The keyboard is a little improved. There's a faster P70 uh, MediaTek chip in there, better RAM, better storage, better specs overall. But more importantly, the top lid that was just a piece of solid metal before, because it's actually made of aluminum on both sides, is now got a little kind of cut out in it with a tiny little OLED display where you can see your notifications and decline and accept calls, a fingerprint reader, which the device didn't have before, and a 24 megapixel... well, is it front or rear facing camera we 're not sure because you could use it either way, yeah but basically a better photo than better camera than the basic camera that 's inside when you open the clamshell so look it 's cool and i don 't know you're at the indieGogo page right now what 's the pricing for a basic model uh, well they 're saying that the, re- the retail of it will be eight hundred u
0: s but they 're doing it for five hundred and sixty nine on uh, on indiegogo and honestly
1: i don't think i would ever pay 800 us for that that's too much but 500 whatever they want on indiegogo right now if you want to get one of those you should because here's the thing these guys have shipped their first one it's not like they're like gonna fail at shipping their second one right
0: so. all right well before we wrap up i just wanted to to run through some sort of i guess High level, just mention a few of the other bits and pieces that we uh, that we saw. Uh-huh. Uh, so, look, you know, CES, we mentioned it before, you get all sorts of bits and pieces, some of which never land in the market, you know, some products that are, um, you know, verging on sort of science fiction. Uh, there, there's really there's really all sorts there and a few bits and pieces that are that I've picked up now some are just more niche some are products that are then I guess are, are just um, you know tech enabled very expensive variations on on things that many of us would, Scratch our heads and wonder whether there needs to be some sort of connected variant of. So <laughs>
1: that's always a question um, everybody should ask, yeah. honestly. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's some crazy stuff out there. Well, you've
0: got uh, you've got the the, the brands like uh, Cola, which is the you know very well known brand for doing uh, faucets and uh, showers, toilets, the, you know the, those sorts of things. Yep, yep. Uh, they were showing off some of their uh, later later stuff uh, and. other other, you know, other brands in that space uh, saw a uh, hands-free water uh, faucet, which you can also control uh, via Alexa. So you <laughs> can, if you you've got, as we do in our kitchen, you got Alexa there. You don't want to touch it. So you, you just you say, can turn
1: on the faucet.
0: Well, there's a benefit. You can say, give me one cup of water. And it will turn it on and give you exactly one cup of water.
1: Oh! Okay. So
0: there are some I use cases that. where it yeah. is, is a step up on just turn it on, turn it off, right? So, that is cool. uh, so that, that's that's kind of fun. Um, there's a, a wearable that uh, for diabetics that measures blood sugar levels. Via their breath. Now, this needs to be um, uh, trained to the individual, but once once it's set up and it's trained, uh, you just it's just a watch that you wear, uh, and no, you don't even have it. Just picks it up because it can measure the sensor that it uses uh, is is measuring parts per billion of uh, across thirty two different gases. Wow, and uh, just the fact that you know you're nearby and so on, it can. It can pick up those things that are uh, personal to you, and it'll it'll know where your you know blood sugar is going going up and down. Um, one that stood out was a, a thing called the IQ E Y E Q U E, which lets you do uh, test your eyesight, and they're claiming. That it's uh, at the same level as as what an optometrist does from a testing perspective, uh, but it's a little thing that you attach to your phone. You look through it and you do these varying um, tests. tests, and very quickly it's able to you know tell you your uh, your your um eyesight. you know your your eyesight reading for new glasses and so wow. on 60 US dollars, and then you own it uh, forever so that's you know prob maybe the cost of one or two uh, eye tests depending on where you go and look I you know I don't think this is going to rule out that you should still see an optometrist uh, from time to time right. but maybe if your eyes are going through some changes and so on uh, then you know, that, that could be useful. Also something that I guess once you've got it can be used by, you know, a whole lot of people. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah this, this, that's it's very, very interesting. Um, oh, there, there were so many bits and pieces. Uh, one that um, I was looking at uh, the stand for, which was, um, uh, oh, which company is this? I'm trying to remember. It'll, it'll come to me in a minute. Um, a back. Pack with a wireless uh, charging uh, pocket, and uh, Neeli Patel from uh, The Verge was having having a look at that while I was at the stand, uh, and he seemed to be very enamoured with it. And it went uh, uh, went online uh, very quickly on the The Verge as a uh, uh, as a uh, news article. Um, <laughs> it was ba- basically a um, you know backpack with a um, battery in it, battery pack in it. And then that's wired through to a little pocket on the side. And I tried the iPhone 10 in there. Uh, It works also with the um, Huawei Mate 20 uh, Pro Pro, that I put in there, Uh, and certainly works with the Samsung phones as well. So you know, really anything that supports your uh, you know your Qi 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 charging standard, uh, you just drop your phone in there, and uh, away it goes, and it charges. It's just it's it's quite a nice sort of pouch. So you know, just any phone. out of, out of the ones I had in my pocket anyway, fit in it quite snugly and just start charging immediately. So,
1: um, See, now they need to make pants like that, Paul. Yeah. Now think about it for a second. Imagine a pair of pants where there's a permanently wired coil and waterproof cord, right? Yeah. yeah. You supply the battery pack, right? Oh, yeah. The yeah. coil is yeah. in your pocket on left or front, or right, and then the, the rear cord, like the, the USB-A yep. or USB Type-C whatever, goes into the rear pocket. So you put, you put the phone in your front pocket like you normally would, most people do. And then you put the battery pack in your rear pocket. You plug it in, and it charges your phone in your front pocket.
0: Now, Targus was the brand I was looking for, so it's Targus that's released the bag this. is Targus, yeah. Um, now, I should mention about what you're suggesting. There's a bit of a risk of uh, pants on fire type uh, situation there if you have an issue with the battery.
1: I guess, but I'm just like <laughs> that's an issue. The risk we take. I mean, how many times do we put USB, uh, you know, uh, power banks in our pockets? We risk, like, you know, death. Yeah, by death yeah. by lithium battery any minute any anytime so
0: yeah, you could get burnt but um yeah, I, I actually thought the same thing. Uh, you know, we're so used to keeping our phones in our pockets, right? Yeah. Uh, that 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 would be an ideal place for them to uh, to to charge. Yeah. Uh, so those were that's a, a small selection of some of the things that were uh, uh, that jumped out. Um, I, IKEA apparently launched some smart blinds that are uh, you know a fraction of the price of the the companies that have been selling that sort of uh, stuff. Uh, something else that I didn't get a chance to look at because the the, uh, media conference for it was overlapping with with something else was um, something uh, a company brain uh, robotics and it's an AI powered uh, prosthetic hand apparently the world's most affordable Uh, so that'll be something else to look at.
1: That sounds cool. Uh,
0: There were also announcements from uh, Hyundai and Toyota around what they're doing on a um, uh autonomous car electric car perspective uh, but basically you know both of them are talking about making uh making aspects of their technology available broadly across uh the industry yeah um in Hyundai's case it's it's the data that they're collecting as their you know vehicles are going around the place uh they they they're saying they'll be collecting more data than than anybody else uh and they're going to make that um somewhat publicly available which actually worried me to a to a. <laughs> Agree without having enough information. Uh, Toyota are talking about uh, their their platform, uh, which is. It's really around adding safety for existing drivers, uh, rather than being entirely driverless. Although you know they're right. still expecting to go to that you know level five, uh, entirely driverless vehicles eventually. Uh, but really, you know their focus at the moment is is on making driving safer for for all of us. And they they uh, they actually reconstructed an an accident that one of their vehicles, uh, which was just collecting data, it wasn't driving uh, autonomously at all. Uh, was involved in and so uh-huh. they had all this information and they recreated that and then they ran through it with a scenario with this car running their newest sort of tech and showed uh, how it would be able to avoid that scenario it was a three car collision on a um, on you know, a freeway in the US wow um, That's amazing. so there's some really interesting stuff going on down that track one of the use cases that they talked about was uh, somebody that was a bit older that maybe in a traditional scenario uh, family member. Might not be so keen for that person to drive, or maybe right. you know, I don't know whether legally that person would have a have a challenge, eyesight or whatever. Uh, but they talked about being able to extend the time. Maybe older people are able to get uh, get behind the wheel in a vehicle oh, cool. as as well. So there's some interesting use cases. So. Look, there's a million and one things going on at CES. There will be a lot more over the, uh, oh my the God, next yes. few days, and uh, we'll certainly talk through some of them on the uh, on the next episode. Uh, but that's us for this one. Um, <laughs> that's, that's it for our first episode of the year. Thank you very much, Miriam yeah, Dwar, for, for on coming back on, was, the, on the show.
1: Yeah, it was great fun. We did like uh, two in, within a month, pretty much. So. Yeah, it's
0: been cool. Now, uh, mobiletechpodcast.com uh, yeah. is where people can check out uh, your show. That's right. Um, and... Also you've got a lot of videos uh coming online you've got content on Instagram yep. and yeah. on on YouTube and there's some really cool stuff on there you've been you've been putting lots yeah. of Yeah uh, so I'm
1: of cool kind of doing online. Instagram more for like instant instant gratification pardon the pun because it's so much to cover at CS like I can shoot with my Mate 20 Pro my Pixel 3 which are great camera phones and just put them up right boom 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 um, so if you want to follow me this week um, you'll see there's a lot of stuff already on day zero as we call it the day before CS really begins because it's press day uh, my handle is tankgirl T N K G R L. Um, and that's the same handle on Twitter as well. So I use Twitter more for kind of like covering the press conferences, like live tweeting, like live vlogging, but on Twitter. And then I cover, I use uh, Instagram for more like, uh, curated and, and, you know, Higher quality images that I've like edited and cleaned up that are more studio like quality, um, and then uh, the YouTube channel is kind of where you can see video of that of the products, and that's there's a bit more of a delay because I need to edit the video and stuff. So YouTube, the YouTube channel URL is YouTube.com/slash Miriam which is my full name spelled out. Um, and it's really you know, the complements to the Mobile Tech Podcast like the Mobile Tech Podcast YouTube channel basically yeah. and you'll see a lot of unboxing videos there like during trade shows like this you'll see un- hands-on videos with various products we talked about three of them tonight that have hands-on videos um, you know the um, the uh, Royal or whatever it's called uh, FlexPi, Pi, the uh, you know the X phone, the blockchain phone, and then uh, finally the the Cosmo Communicator. So check those out, um, and yeah, I mean. You know, it's it's uh, great because the, con- the the podcast is just audio, right? So, it doesn't relay the visual aspects that well. So, I find that having the Instagram and the YouTube really helps with that.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it's great. And, it, you know, there's some quite different content that you'll uh, um, you know, often see on your YouTube channel. So, it's, it's well worth, worth a look. Getting yeah, so
1: subscribe know, to both the podcast and the YouTube channel and tell your friends, okay?
0: Some of these are getting uh, getting a lot of views there, Miriam. What's one here? I'm looking at here from uh, a few weeks ago, 200,000 views. So. Oh, that's
1: the McLaren OnePlus 6T. Uh. Yeah,
0: yeah it's, uh, it's very cool, very cool. All right, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to catching up again soon. Absolutely. Thanks again, Paul. Thanks for being on the show. Take See care.
1: Miriam. Bye, everybody.
0: The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.